Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. In this episode, we hear from Lynn Ramsey, director of You Were Never Really Here, one of the standout films of 2018. Lynn was joined at our events by producer Jim Wilson and moderator Danny Lee. Together, they discuss working with Joaquin Phoenix, adapting from the source material and shooting the whole thing in just 27 days. Danny kicked things off by asking Lynn about her influences and adapting the book. My mum and dad were just like, uh, they were working class people, but they, they were, um, re- I didn't realise how film buffy they were because, I, you know, I saw like Douglas Sirk and Hitchcock really young and a lot of movies that were made in the 40s and 50s that were 90 minutes long and super economical. And um, I think my first memory of, of a film is seeing Don't Look Now by the amazing uh, Nick Rogue, who I totally... Im- you know, I think it's one of the best British filmmakers that ever lived and um, he just passed away recently. Um, but I saw Don't Look Now, five five years old, hiding behind a sofa and I, I don't think I ever forgot that, like, first opening sequence until they told me to go to bed. So, yeah. I, so, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of B-movie in some ways and there was... You know, certainly that was in the, the novel, um, but there was a really interesting character and about the, the, who was... To me, it was about this traumatized character and so I wanted to make it really propulsive like the book but also to go a bit deeper into him and I think that was there the bare bones of it but the film's quite different it's like the whole third act the singing gunman when he the gunman goes to the house and he's you know he, he finds they start singing the Charlene song that's you know a completely new thing um so was the, a lot of the mother was extended the whole final act um you know, in the book, it was much more that he there's a big denouement where he gets the guy and you don't get the girl, and you know it's about saving the girl. And I think one thing that Joaquin and I and also Jim, you know, were interested in were was what if it isn't that denouement? What what if it isn't the the guy gets the girl? What if it, like she he can't even save himself, you know, and she saves herself, you know? So there was a. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you, not to have a politeness standoff but I think that was what you did to it when you you sort of turned it inside out actually while you were making the film (laughs) uh, with the the plot (laughs) but the cool thing was that you know a lot of nice things happened in terms of when I started writing it and I was coming up with all these new ideas that John Ames uh, said you know look as long as you make it you know lean and mean like the a page turner that that novella was that's cool and do your own thing and you know, we became these kind of pen friends because I'd never met him, but we were emailing the whole time and he, he started telling me all about his relationships and what, <laughs> what kind of state of mind he was in when he wrote this book. And um, and I was living in Santorini and he beat Santorini and we, we shot at the lake where his, he had the last walk with his mum of all the locations we could have chosen. It was strange that it was that, it was meaningful to him. And also he's seen the film about... 25 times which is kind of and he loves it so you know and is writing another novella based on the movie yeah okay which is interesting yeah, so yeah. so he says you know so. 
I mean, you've got to get you. We have to get to know Joe very, very quickly, and it's interesting because it's almost like you sort of set yourself these challenges. Because I think there's another kind of movie and another kind of story where you'd have his backstory would be fleshed out with there'd be loads of flashbacks essentially. I mean, the first the first act would just be filled with flashbacks, and you're really sparing with your flashbacks. And there's obviously there are huge things in his past, but you're very economical with those. I'm assuming that was very deliberate from the start to like not go not go too heavy on the flashbacks. Well, I th I'm not even, you know, it sounds a bit of a contradiction, especially because I, I made We Need to Talk About Kevin as well, which has got parallel storylines. Um, um, and that was a super complicated film in a different way. Um, but, yeah, I kind of saw the character having these shards in his head, like moments that I like when, I don't think your memory works like to give you a backstory. It's, it's, it's more like um, this pieces that come back. It's post-traumatic stress. It was like, that's like recall, you know, so you know, uh, where you have very lucid moments at quite banal times. Um, so that was something we definitely talked about and I think I really stripped that back and, you know, left quite a lot, lot up to the audience, which some people like or not, you know, to kind of piece together about where his trauma lies. Yeah. It's just it's interesting because people obviously associate you as this very this deeply visual filmmaker, you know, your images kind of never leave the head. But at the same time, I mean, this is what the third film in a row which is a literary adaptation technically speaking I mean do you prefer working with working with a book to start with so it's not even a script there's a book to start with I just like good ideas you know it's a, I, I don't think I've ever done a straight adaptation like in the sense of it's been a very kind of like um, straightforward from book to film kind of scenario it's much more been like inspired by like an idea like for instance and we need to talk about Kevin it's like what if you don't really feel that maternal love for your son and then what if he's a sociopath on top of that you know um and so it was that was complicated um, um and that was a great idea it was like I, I, and i hadn't seen it that much in cinema and uh, but a lot of people said that was unfilmable because it was a book of letters and the gimmick was it was like you learn at the end that um eva the main character is writing to her husband and he's dead and you know and so everybody i'm sure loads of directors had passed in that book and the only reason i got it was because it was like how do you make that in a movie and so that was quite a, that, was a super, that was 450 pages long and like this which was you know probably 100 pages or something or less um so everything's inspired and, and the same with joe in this film it's, it was like here's this anti kind of james bond character he's like he's a schlub he's got a gut he's scarred he's he's demented he's going a bit crazy but he loves his mum and you empathize in some way and then you think is he a psycho and i don't know it's just it was kind of the deranged nature of this character and how how it spoke to me about violence in the world that was interesting to me you know but it wasn't like a straight none of them have been straight adaptations so to me it's about ideas and very early in the process, it feels like this time, and again, you've done this in the past, but it felt like a deliberate decision this time to kind of bring together some people that you've worked with in the past to kind of maybe give yourself a foundation. So Paul Davis, who obviously yeah. did the sound you've worked with before, Tom Townend, your DP, Jim as well, obviously you go back a long way with. Do you feel like it's to make the filmmaking this bold that takes this many chances? Does it, does it feel like you need familiar faces around you? Um, I, you know, I remember when I was at film school, Derek Jarman came and... You know, he was actually, it was before, just before he died, actually not long before he died. And, you know, he was super inspiring and very funny. And um, he said, oh, well, I, I work with my friends, like, you know, I work with people I, I love, you know, because it's really difficult making films. And, you know, we're this real band of brothers. And that was really, you know, it is difficult making films. And But I know a lot of talented people. And, you know, I don't just make the film as a director. It's like 
um, those people all add to that process. And pretty early on in the film, I will think about sound, I will think about music, and I will, th you know, in the case of this, it was 27 day shoot, I had to be super precise about shots. So the fact that we had, that Tom knew the script, he's got a, uh, credit as a script editor, the DP, he came to Santorini where I was living at the time four times or five times and he knew the shots inside out because we only had like a two month or three month window really all in to prep um, and I don't think I'd have been able to do that unless I talked to Johnny Greenwood, Paul Davis, Tom Townend, um, Linda Forson, the, the dialogue editor like was on my team, we had a uh, Joe Beanie, the editor, like uh, Tim uh, Grimes, who never gets mentioned, the production designer, because everyone mentions the cinematography, but it's what you put in front of the camera too. And some of this, are, these are sets, and he never gets any credit now. And he's, I wish he, he did. Um, but I just have this, I mean, Jim, obviously, you know, really helped us through. Sorry, <laughs> you're not an afterthought, honestly. <laughs> Happy to be. But, but it was it was tough. I mean, we had like very short time. It was like this electric kind of way of filming. It's like, you know, I thought I had three days for action sequences. I've never done an action sequence. I've never done anything like this. Um, and then you realize you've got half a day or one, you know, or, you know, much less time than you think. And then you've got kind of, for want of a better expression, a gun to your head as well. But I think I'm good in a corner, do you know what I mean? Like, I, it brings out these light bulb moments and certainly we had a few of these, but it was, it was hardcore, you know? <laughs> it was like, That you seems know. interesting, isn't it, in the brothel? Because uh, now, some time on, I've seen people write about that sequence and analyse it. The, the CCTV, surveillance but camera, yeah. Am I right in saying that's a perfect example of a necessity being the mother of invention of, like, not having three yeah. days to shoot it and coming up with that idea yeah. that was partly through how to do it mm. like in it yeah you know that it coming uh, from it and then that yeah. idea be super exciting i remember when you told joaquin that idea he was like blown away by you know well yeah I, I, it was that some of those ideas did come because the limitations you know and you know i hate to say that we're a producer in the room <laughs> but no, no but, we, it, but we, no, it was a good thing it was a good thing yeah. within those yeah the film well, was made very very quickly yeah um, but but definitely I had that idea and some but it came from the character a bit. I was like, you know, I I think in my mind at first it was like, yeah, I've got like I'm gonna do this hugely balletic sequence and had storyboarded that or maybe shot listed it all out and then it was like actually the violence should be super mechanical in the beginning and quite distant and then become very personal and then become kind of this post violence and so it gave me more of a form of it and uh, and that was really interesting. Um and that was because I had to do that as well but it also brought uh, you don't get many moments in a film where you actually have a light bulb you know and there was a, when I had that idea it was a bit like that and it and I didn't know if it was going to work I did a little test showed the editor um but it was a real risk risk to take because I I didn't I've never had a time to do additional photography in any films I've ever made so if it didn't work I was kind of screwed you know um so but sometimes just there's a real energy that work, working with an actor who loves that kind of, he loves being in set, he doesn't like trailers, he want, he doesn't like drivers, he wants to shoot um, and talk about ideas the whole time. Um, and just the whole electricity of the film, I think, you know, I believe in the ghost of the machine and I think hopefully some of that went into this. And it feels very individual as well. I mean, it feels like it's you making that sequence. So it doesn't feel like something where, again, I think maybe other filmmakers might be tempted, maybe if they had more money and time as well, to look back and to kind of reference 
half a dozen other great action movies, but this felt like you, just you and a lot of adrenaline. Yeah, it was scary doing that. It was scary, but you have to believe in it, you know, Lena. You know, I, I felt I started seeing it and he, the time slices of the music I felt made you really uncomfortable in a way that you didn't really understand. And so how the sound works in that sequence, I think, in particular is... Because it's strange because, you don't, you know, it's a track where if you slice a few thing, bars out of it or whatever, it, it, it still sounds continuous, but it kind of messes with your head in a subconscious way. And I put that as a temp track. I was like, I'm not going to use that. I'll use something much more modern or blah, blah, blah. And then nothing else worked, you know. So it was just one of those things. Um, but, but yeah, it was, an, it was super exciting to shoot that. Beautiful know? accident. You've, you've mentioned Joaquin. I mean, tell us a little bit about that relationship. I mean, were you writing with him in mind or was, it, was that another happy accident? Was Joaquin just something that kind of fell out of the sky? He's never a happy accident. <laughs> um, I, he's like, I've put him on my screensaver. I've seen him in movies. I think he's amazing. But it was more like I, think I saw a photograph of like a little bit when I... Uh, same with Morvan Caller with Samantha Morton. It was like, uh, there was an image that in spotlight, and spotlight images are usually glamorous actresses, you know, and um, hers was just this very normal looking plain girl looking out a window of a train and I thought, that's Morvan Caller, you know, and, and then I met her and she's awesome and the, the, the rest is, you know, Morvan Caller. So, um, but he was like, I felt he would bring a vulnerability to it, a madness and unpredictability, you know, unpredictability and, and he's just got such a range, you know, but, you know, he's, He's quite choosy, so it's not like, you know, I knew he, could, he would do it, you know. So it was really Jim that, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about well, No, I mean, but to answer Danny's question, it was your idea on, on your own, and it was a photograph. Yeah, I remember that mm -hmm. photograph. It was a black and white mm -hmm. photograph. Ironically, it was a photograph that was totally different to how, the, how he then looked, <laughs> and it was much more almost uh, maybe a certain kind of more familiar right it was a black and white photograph and i think he was smoking and mm -hmm. head down sort of slightly montgomery cliff mm -hmm. kind of brooding and then of course how he looks couldn't be <laughs> further from that trope but, and uh, but, they, they but was, that was years yeah. before and uh, it's true yeah lynn i remember when you sent me the first draft of the script on an email that you'd written on your own mm -hmm. spec and it, it was the pdf and that photograph mm -hmm. and um yeah, so it was Lynn. I I know him because I'd made uh, a couple of films with him in a, a different incarnation in the past, and so I knew him. So when it um, came uh, time, like at a certain point, a couple of years later, uh, I mean, there was a little coincidental thing where I, I saw him once in LA, in LA, and we were chatting, and he just um, he just done um, a Woody Allen film, Irrational. No. Was it called Irrational Man? Right, I didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, which was shot by Darius Konji, great cinematographer. And um, um, I think Joaquin had said he was talking to Darius Konji, and he said, "Oh, who are the interesting? Who are the great directors out there I should work with?" And Darius had been working with Lynn on a film that they didn't make together called <laughs> Jane Got a Gun. And Darius Konji said Lynn Ramsey, and I said, "Oh, that's funny. She's my mate, and we're." She's writing a script, actually, and I'm not just saying this, but she's <laughs> writing it for you. And that became the beginning of the sort of connection. So I joined so they, them up on yeah. email, and they started talking. And then sometime later, Lynn well, sent him the script. Well, he said he understood about 50% of you know, what I said. So I that's than, why I he said yes. I think less than 50. <laughs> less than less 50, than. yeah. And he said, oh, you know, that 
he just went yes, 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 and then he didn't know what he was letting himself in for, you know. But but you but, did you did write it with him in mind. But I did, and long before. But, you but met. it's not many actors. He came in prep at the same time as a DP, and he was becoming that character physically and you know putting the weight on. And it wasn't exactly how I'd imagined, but I was like, this is totally right. And and also he, he questions everything. He questions it to the degree where it drives you nuts. You're like, this is terrible, you know. But actually, it makes you kind of really sure of what you're doing so to me it was a real gift and to have him round the corner for two months you know who comes that early you know I know I've worked with great actors all of them I work with I work with them again hopefully Tilda and uh, Tilda Swinton Ezra Miller John C. Riley, you know Sam Morton um, and they're all really special and you know um, but this there was a point in this movie where it was so like you know I don't think I've ever got to the end of a film when it, you know, it was so intense where I was like, let's just go make another movie with this crew and this actor because he was doing one and two takes. That's all we had time for. And it was electrifying to watch and the crew were all under 30 and they were like, and we tried it as chronological as possible. So to have all these young filmmakers as well who we later found out were the skip supervisor was a director and a chess player and somebody else was directing or writing something and they were something and they were so enthusiastic about the movie. It, put, it really put this... Um, kind of like energy into it too you know and um i appreciated that a lot you know um but we were watching this thing unfold and when he was singing a you're adorable in the mirror and we talked one day we were just sitting and he started singing that and i start i knew that song through my mum and that's how that idea came along you know we started singing a you're adorable and we're like he should sing that with his mum you know what i mean like, and so it was just it was beautiful organic Process. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you're thinking on your feet the entire time, though, as well. Because, I mean, if cause I was going to ask, in terms of his physicality, which just dominates the film, I mean, if that was something which you kind of you kind of knew was coming, but maybe not to not to the scale that it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, he had this beard. He was going to play Jesus in the next film, you know, so I couldn't get rid of the beard. So I was like, okay, that he started kind of evolve. It was lovely to see some someone become that, the way he was walking, his physicality, the, the slight hunch thing, you know, um... I thought it was. I was like, this is this is this hunchback in Notre Dame. This is this thing. This is this uh, to be in a process where you're that involved with an actor. You know, was just fantastic. You know, um, and frightening and you know, and exhilarating. You know, it was just it was just fantastic. Yeah, because you've talked a little bit about the, about the energy and yeah, twenty seven days in New York in the summer. I mean, there's going to be a lot of energy there but at the same time it feels in some ways like a like a film where there must have been a relaxation as well everyone must have been breathing as well thinking on screen no. in terms of, <laughs> no. just in terms of, of Joaquin's relationship with Joe's relationship with his mother on screen that feels like something it feels very lived in it yeah. doesn't feel like those feel like that. it feels like performances that have kind of been there for a long time so it's interesting they weren't they obviously just sort of came kind of uh, that, that, of was, that was totally the actors and Judith Roberts is in her 80s and she was actually in a David Lynch movie she was the beautiful I think razor head she was a beautiful girl ac across the hallway you know um and she's like this i'd wanted her to play this part in kevin but she broke her leg she was made to slap tilda in the street and we got another great actress but um i'd always remembered her and um and she's just this she's at that point in her life where she's just having a blast and she's working with all these young filmmakers and doing nyu projects or columbia and she her and Joaquin just were having this riff and I, I, I based it a little bit on my own mum who loves t uh, 
watching horror movies and uh, and hard-boiled thrillers and TCM, you know, and turns the TV up so loud even though she's not deaf and there's even a TV in the kitchen playing at the same time. And you're like, Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> it's like, and I just said to Judith, like, what would you be watching? Like, like you know, think of one of these films. He's like, you know, and the first take, everyone thinks it's some big reference to Cycle, but that was an improvisation. That was like, you know, she said you know, Psycho was on today. And he went, ee, 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 which was great, but then cost 15 grand and then we had to use it twice. So that was 30 grand and it was like, oh my God, you know, this is like, so, uh, but but I was like, this is the take I'm going to use and I know it's the take I'm going to use and it was the first one. How was that moment for you, Jim, as the producer? <laughs> it was fine because it was really good. You know, if no, if something's good, you want to make it, it happen. Was, but it that was a is bit true. more stressful. Yeah, okay. I didn't, no one thought about it. I knew at the time because yeah. the, you know that is uh, it's trademark. The, it, right. Well, it's um, obviously it's not the recording, but it's the composition. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's easy. And he for does me. it outside the bathroom as well. So of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's easy for me to say because I, I wasn't having to make the movie in twenty-seven days in New York in the summer. But do you think if you'd had more time, more money, it wouldn't have had quite that kind of crackle that it has? That quite that energy? Who knows? I mean, I'd love to you know have more than twenty-seven days, but the, it depends on the movie. I think. That, I think the way he likes to work and the way it was working and all the prep that was done in the script and, and the, the ideas that we had for sound and the, that we were pretty sure of the shots and Tom and I did a lot of work in prep and on the shoot. That, I mean, I don't think I slept, so it was like a hallucinatory film in many ways. You know, I've got a, a one-and-a-half-year-old with me at the same time and Joaquin lived a few blocks down, you know what I mean? And I was trying to see like about 150 locations in a few weeks and... But yeah, there was an energy on it. You could feel it in set. You could feel the hairs in your, your neck stand up. There was a thrum, you know, like a kind of crazy thrum. And I, and I dug it, but it was like, there was a craziness, but a beautiful craziness. And I think maybe it was just the movie telling us that's the way it was going to make, be made. And um, and I didn't think the edit would be like that, but that ended up being like that as well. You know, where was the financier put it to Cannes I had, I didn't really talk to them about that, and then it was like Can wanted it, but it had storyboards in it like a few weeks before, and I'm like, no way, I'm not ready, you know. And so it was, it was the edit was mental as well, you know. And I just think maybe some something in this movie was just a bit deranged, you know, but hopefully in a good way, you know. I think so. one thing you should say about because you might say 27 days, <laughs> and you're a, it's a BAFTA audience, you know, about making film that, and you might think actually that's not that short these days. It's not just that the time. Uh, the shooting time, which you, we both would have liked more days. I think maybe even more than that, it was that there was no prep, prep time, as Lynn explained at the beginning. So the, the time between Joaquin saying, yes, I'll do the film, and when he was available, because he was, as Lynn mentioned, he was going off to do Mary Magdalene, was, um, it was like four weeks or something. And so <laughs> the day he said yes, there was a script, there was a director, and that was it really uh, and an act and then there was an actor but there was no money there was you know there was no planning you know all the thing you know some formed crowd you know there was none of the sort of things that you do uh you know soft prep as it's called to sort of you know like some casting or go and look at locations and so within we were all in europe lynn lived in a greek island so you know, within a week we were in New York and then we were suddenly, you know, we were sort of had a couple of weeks to prep this film and that's what was so kind of feverish and crazy because what happened when we got there is it was like, okay, we can't make the 
script that you've written for the amount of money we've been given and then you were like slashing the script and I think you cut 17 pages out of the script in about two weeks before shooting huge sequences so it was that 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 was the kind of mental fever dream part of it, it was like reshaping it um, as you're doing it and then you did that also while you're making the film you mm -hmm. completely changed the story you mm -hmm. did things that I've never seen done like changing actors playing characters into different characters but using footage that they were had shot as one character in another <laughs> character it was it was crazy is that because just in that moment you're thinking well this is just the right decision does it feel at that moment does it just feel like the natural thing to do well, I mean, we did, we did have this, you know, when you shoot in New York, it is quite expensive. And, you know, the financier originally said, oh, can you shoot it in Europe? But I learned my Linton, but it, it always felt like a New York story, you know, with the guns. And, you know, I didn't feel like a, you know, so there's limitations then. And uh, But I, when I got there and it was like, oh, literally, you have to be smart and like how much time you've got to shoot, you know. Like, and I knew that there was no way we were going to make that schedule. So it was all like, an exercise in the economy. And so... But that's exciting. That's super exciting. You know, it's like, how do you do something that you have 10 shots and one shot, you know, or two shots? It's like, then you have to really think outside the box. And so it, that was, I enjoyed that, you know. I apologise I've monopolised the conversation. I just love this film, so I could talk about it all night. I, I just want to ask one more question and then hand it over. You can't control when a film comes out, obviously. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it did feel like with, with this film that to come out and it, with me to just exploding it felt like there was almost something in the air and like you know there was some sort of prophecy or some sort of omen involved there how did that feel when knowing that the film was coming out and also that it felt like you know you were you were expressing something very important that, that was long overdue uh, I, I don't you know you don't know like you know timing of things is strange but i mean i definitely was watching a lot of docu i mean i watch documentaries like every day you know so I was watching a lot of stuff. I mean, it's a very unsure world at the time, this moment in time. Nothing's black and white. And I was watching things about corruption. And I think for women in a lot of ways as well. I know that the, I think this is totally about Joe, you know what I mean? Like, and there's different films that do different things like about elements of the subject matter that are, are more explicit and, and stuff like that. What was about violence in the world, about, you know, commodity that, you know, uh, and also about this trauma and this character that comes from violence and violence goes on in a cycle and yeah maybe that just was a, a zeitgeisty thing I don't know but there's that has been a zeitgeisty thing probably for 50 years I don't know you know what I mean like, but I, I think um yeah maybe just like the timing was weird but like yeah it's uncertain times in the films are kind of about an a character in an uncertain world and that and in a violent world in a, in a world where there's no good guys or bad guys and they're not as clear yeah so Please, Jim Wilson and the greatest, Lynn Ramsey. Thanks for coming. Thank you.